Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, April 6, 2017, so we're talking about energy, materials, and industrials. I'm your host, Sean Riley, and joining me today in studio is Motley Fool Premium Analyst and lover of Hawaiian pizza, Mr. Taylor Muckerman. What's up? Sup, sup, sup. How's it going? Good. And as long as it's like has bacon on it too. Oh, that's I don't the I don't necessarily like because generally like the the pineapple and the ham still have like the same yeah. like kind of slimy well, no, texture. And, I need some crunch. Uh, ham and bacon and stuff that would be a big thing in Hawaii too because luau always has a pig. Oh, dude, for always. sure. So yeah. either it works. cooked on a spit or wrapped up in banana leaves and buried on top of some hot coals. You, you ever seen them take it out of the the sand? Oh yeah, thing it's no like joke. that's. It's a big deal. Just fall off the bone. You got yeah. the orange slices all over it. Oh, I've seen it delicious. once, and like the I, yeah, like actually everything fell off the bone immediately. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, moving on to more pleasant things. Uh, today's show, we're discussing oil prices and how they are they've been affected by inventories because yeah. we just get a new story every day, I guess. Yeah, higher inventories in the U.S., higher inventories with OPEC. Although they seem to have some slowing growth or maybe some negative growth in their inventories lately. At but, least, yeah, especially for the offshore. last for the last few months, yes. Surprising inventory growth on the oil front. Um, and uh, <laughs> I just got to talk about uh, last 24 hours has been fun for that uh, all, all the solar yield codes, that 8.3 energy partners. Yeah, yeah. I think um, that's, you brought that to our attention uh, a few months ago. We got to wrap about that because last night was fun. And uh, we got to. Uh, we don't talk about them enough, but we're going to touch on uh, deep water offshore drillers before we head out. Yeah, no, they haven't. They haven't had a good time of it lately. So uh, we've kind of just left but them to die. But we uh, we need them to be there because in Armageddon, those were the guys that they went to to help them drill into the asteroid to blow it up. Oh right, so we, yeah. We, we need to keep these people doing what they're doing. So not all of them, apparently. What? <laughs> We just need Ben Affleck and uh, <laughs> yeah, we need Ben Affleck and National Oil of Arco yeah, and, and maybe a, a dr- another driller or two. Um, so last couple of shows we've chatted about oil prices and inventories. Um, despite you know the drop in shale production over the last couple of years here domestically and OPEC's cuts that are over, uh, Cushing inventories is still high. Yeah. And every week you you get a you get a couple of little builds in there, and um, it's it's just kind of like what's going on here. Um, However, as was first touched upon by Tyler Crow a month or so ago, when I you know had him calling mm-hmm. from Malawi, um, this week we've gotten a string of articles from places like Bloomberg that U.S. traders might be focusing on the wrong data. Um, more specifically, the uh, there's a Bloomberg article: oil traders are looking at the wrong inventory data, and it was written by Jason. I'm butchering this, so I apologize. But Schenker, it's S C H E N K E R. I probably I don't know. I think I did that right. Anyway. Uh, he's the president and founder of Prestige Economics LLC, and he talks about product inventories like gasoline. Mm-hmm. I mean, just for the layman, this is you know. Plus, oil is of course used for. I don't know. It's probably in all the plastic around us. I too. mean, generally, I would say most everything you touch throughout the day. Yeah. Your Tupper- We're wearing oil. Your Tupperware, your car tires, some of your clothes, the soles on your shoes. Yeah. What do you know about my? Cl- I'm kidding. <laughs> um, and uh, he also, in the article, talks about something called the crack spread, yeah. which I hope you can add some light on. Um, we haven't, you know, mentioned this much on the show, but what is a crack spread, Taylor? Well, I mean, it's getting down into the nitty gritty. It, it's really important for people um, that are looking at refiners uh, because basically. 
to make it as simple as I think I can make it, it's just basically it's it's the margin that refiners are going to make uh, from the cost of a barrel of crude oil to the cost that it uh, takes to produce. Now, why does that oil? vacillate? Because I, if you don't know why, I mean, well, the, I'm so, surprised it changes. Yeah, well, you, so the price of oil obviously fluctuates, so it's going to cut when it's a hundred dollars a barrel. Obviously, refiners' pr- costs were a lot higher, um, but then so they elevated the price of gasoline mm-hmm. and. Um, so you're basically trying to take the barrel of oil equivalent of gasoline, yeah. have that price set, and then have the the price that they paid for that oil, subtract it so that you get the margin. Um, so hopefully, hopefully for the refiners, the cost that they're selling a barrel equivalent of oil of gasoline or a refined product is higher than they're paying for a barrel of oil. Right. And so, they call it the crack spread because you're basically cracking oil up. Into, into their individual hydrocarbons into their their end uses as refined products. So what is why does this exist? Because I remember when oil prices were literally plummeting in yeah. late 2014, they were talking about how the oil majors that own refineries they're going to do okay, okay being a relative term, yeah, compared to just a straight up producer, sure. Because the crack spread was widening. Mm-hmm. Is that because oil prices, so their base commodity, they're cracking into Well, their, the their input cost Is it oil. falling faster than the end products that they're selling? Yeah, I feel like if you've ever kind of looked at oil prices rising and falling, and then you always kind of, it's kind of a lag before gasoline prices Is that the cause of the crack suit. spread, basically? Um, well, the cause of the crack spread is... is um, yeah, I mean, it's just the vacillation in prices at different okay. times. Yeah, so it, I mean, there's a history there where you see the the crack spread. You know, it, it, so what's going on right now? 2011, 2012, the crack spread was, you know, it was a little positive for for the Gulf conventional gasoline crack spread, but you know, in earlier on in February 2011, you saw a negative crack spread. So it, yeah. it does. I think it's less important for long-term investors because it's cyclical, yeah, um, and it, it does change over time. But obviously, if you're looking for a short-term investment in a refiner, you're going to want to know yeah. what the crack spread is, what the projections so, are. He basically says that crack spreads are on the rise, that they're highest level since um, early, like a year ago, early 2016, I guess. Uh-huh. And he basically implies that that's an incentive for refiners to go grab all the oil that's in inventory and just make it into stuff. I mean, you would imagine so, because you never know when prices are going to rise. If you listen to a few recent projections from uh, investment bankers, um, I think BMP Paribas said that they could see $70 oil by the end of this year. That'd be fun. And another bank that escapes me said $60 oil within the next three months. So if that if that cool. so it's these spikes that catch the refiners off guard. If right. you, if you have sustained pricing, then then they can plan a little bit better for it. And that's it's when this, the, it's the uncertainty drops. I assume. Well, you you become more profitable if you can okay. if you can sustain low oil prices, and then you can like kind of push out raising or lowering gasoline prices. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, though, your customers are going to be like, well, you're getting your input costs a little cheaper, so how about you, how about you hook yeah. us up with a little bit of that margin that you've been benefiting from? Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. But so, if we do mention, like, end product inventories are down, so yeah. refiners could be buyers in the short term, especially with the summer driving, se- driving season coming up. Which is basically what he was talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, so if, you, yeah. if you see... that's. It's just the less heralded inventory levels because um, oil is the base cost. So right. that's that's what gets it all started. So right. that's that's the headliner. Um, at uh, of course at the bottom 
bottom end of, at the end of the day, uh, just focus on good companies. All the stuff is. Yeah, I mean, you can also focus. So, if you look at um, where the refineries are getting their oil from, so a lot of midcon refiners here, right along the the Cushing area and the Gulf Coast, generally getting some cheaper oil mm-hmm. because uh, and the lighter, sweet crude oil, which is easier and less costly to refine. Um, and you look at the if you get in Gulf Gulf uh, oil from. Out Middle East, or if you're getting Mexico oil or heavy oil sands oil from Canada, costs a little bit more to refine. Um, so it's cheaper. What's up? So it's cheaper. The oil itself is yeah. cheaper, but the 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 cost for the refiner oh, yeah. it is a lot higher because it's a lot dirtier and it necessitates more refining than the light sweet crude. Uh, so generally, the U.S. is producing light sweet crude and. Everywhere we import it from is producing the heavier crude. For sure. Yeah. Cool. So uh, I, I've talked about this company before, and I've just we got to we got to wrap about this for a sec. So yesterday, eight point three Energy Partners, which is they, they literally just own and buy solar installation projects that got twenty twenty five year lives, and then they just sell the electricity to a utility company, and that's it. Like yep. I, I think they have like five employees. Like they don't. They, <laughs> I, I'm joking. But yeah, well, yeah. The, the revenue per employee should be all right. So uh, they reported earnings after the close. Um, they're pretty good. They projected their dividend for the year. They actually a month ago had uh, increased their quarterly dividend by three three percent. I mean, they're things are okay over there operationally. Um, <laughs> then are they or so they say? Well, yeah. so the cause of the ruckus is just an announcement by one of their two parent companies. So, so what happened overnight? The stock was down like eight to ten percent. It was it was more. rough. It yeah. was it's actually only only down. It's down seven percent right now. Okay, it was down like fifteen after hours. Yeah, it okay. was crazy. Yeah. It was like whoa, guys. So some knee jerk reactions and some, a little bit of more rationalization, but yeah. still negative. So, so what um. There's there's three companies involved in this. You've got 8.3, which trades under the symbol CAFD, and it's two solar installer parent companies, First Solar, FSLR, and yep. SunPower, SPWR. You could even throw in a fourth company, which is French oil giant Total, saying, where's Tyler Crow when you need him, right? Yeah, seriously, that's his bag, um, baby. And they own 56% of SunPower. Okay, so they like they, they they control it. Like this is yeah. Yep. Like they might as well not even have a board. LOL. <laughs> um. So eight point three reports earnings. They're decent. It's fine. Cash flow is okay. Distributable cash flow is twenty five million dollars, which is where it needs to be. All good. And then First Solar announced that they were exploring strategic alternatives for its ownership in eight point three Energy Partners, basically saying they want out and the stock tanks. Because this is one of the selling points, you know, two years ago when 8.3 was created, was we'll have two parent companies as opposed to one, as was the case with Terraform, Power, and Global. Uh-huh. They were the the yield calls for Sun Edison. That's now in Chapter Eleven, and yes. things are not great. Um, These yield codes, you see NRG Energy had a yield yeah. code that's really done poorly. It's, I don't know about well, it. Well, this was 8.3 was created when that was hot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's well, the thing. That's why they were created, because it was hot. So, and this is actually, I, I did some digging. It was weird because on December 1st, 8.3 closed on an acquisition of a 34% interest in, you guessed it, First Solar, the yeah. company that wants out, a uh, 300 megawatt uh, state line solar project located in San Bernardino County, California. Um, Project had a 20-year contract life, expected to generate approximately $32 million in annual cash distributions. I mean, they're they're making deals. It's fine. They were fulfilling on why they were created. Yeah. 
So First Solar said in the statement, their CEO said that um, it could allow that to allow them to allocate more capital to the production of its next generation Series Six panels, which Chief Executive Mark Widmar said has the potential to be a transformational product. I don't quite buy this because First Solar has a crap ton of cash on the balance sheet. Like I'm pretty sure it's over a billion dollars. I don't know. I think it sounds compared to their market cap. Well, we got uh, so like a billion dollars of cash versus a market cap of oh two two and three quarter billion. So that's a pretty decent. And yeah, okay. To the to be fair, they are in a. You know, solar panels are, for lack of a better word, a commodity. Like, if you don't have a more efficient solar panel, somebody overseas will just mess you up. I yep. mean, it'll, you know, so to be fair, they do have to dig in and do some things. But, I mean, yeah, they have cash and cash equivalents of, as of last uh, end of 2016, $1.347 billion and $608 million in short term investments, which I assume is T bills or something. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is some serious cash. And I know they're thinking, oh, we really just got to focus on this, and that's fine. But it really smells to me like they just, you know, they created this thing when it was hot two years ago, and now it's just not it's getting love in the market. It's yeah, falling out of favor. The herd mentality has taken over. Um, I talked to, um, so the uh, fool.com, we have a contributing solar uh, writer. He's, he knows everybody in Travis the industry. Hoyle. Travis Hoyle. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's the truth when you so want to hear about I, I was movies. I was chatting with him last night at, you know, 10 p.m., because this is just hilarious in every way. Um, he said, and I, I appreciated this, I think the whole move is because neither sponsor is betting on product project development the way they were two years ago, so if you can cash out now, why not? Uh-huh. Um, I don't think this... It can go either way. This could actually be good, and uh, Total, the owner of the other, you know, 56% owner of um, uh, uh, SunPower. SunPower, yeah. Sorry. That's okay. There's a lot of powers and yeah. suns in here. I apologize. It's okay. Um, you could see them just buying this, the, the stake in this, and you know they love renewables, and you have uh, an oil company worth hundreds of billions of dollars that's trying to pivot to solar as the other... I mean, it would it would be incestuous, but yeah, it 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 would be fine. Um, this doesn't affect its cash flows right now. It's just you. At the end of the day, it just seems like everybody doesn't like uncertainty. Yes, on Wall Street. So well, that's where they're just selling that's off. where they tell you you can capitalize uh, is on uncertainty. But yeah, I mean, I think that the whole energy energy yield co story really. Really sour people on these, and so any any hint of some yeah. negative news, people are jumping for because the they people are still burned from the Sun Edison stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Terraform Global and Power. I mean, it was like, what are these things worth? Right, and they're so confusing. When yeah, you really dive down. No, yeah, you look at a chart of like the ownership structures of all this yeah. stuff they own. It's very Enron esque in terms of how yeah. confusing it can get. You own thirty four percent of this project over here. Yeah. Da, 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 like but then somebody else below them owns another. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Lots of fun. Um, so before we head out, I wanted to wrap about deep water offshore drilling. Okay. Um, this or was la- suppo- lack thereof, or lack thereof, because <laughs> when it was when it was all peak oil right before the financial crisis in two thousand seven, if memory serves, this was going to be the savior. It was going to be we'll find these huge fields, we'll keep producing. We'll be okay for a while because of these deep water offshore projects. Yeah, they're long tail projects. projects. Very expensive, though. Then uh, I don't know. Iraq's production gets back up to four or five million barrels. Shale comes into the picture, and the bottom falls out. I mean, is it game over? Like, what's going on here? Uh, it is for some companies. So yeah. you, you've been seeing a lot of restructuring lately. Um, Hercules Offshore. Um, I remember them. Yeah. So they yeah. were predominantly 
uh, shallow water, so jack-up rigs. So this is like 100 miles off the coast in the Gulf? Or? I don't even know if it's that far off. Oh, okay. Yeah, so all it's, it's all jack-up rigs, so they're actually they're not floating. They're actually on the, the, the uh-huh. surface below the water. Um, so they, they can't go too deep. Um, but then again, it wasn't that as expensive as deep water, so you would expect maybe there's some, some leeway there. Unfortunately not. Hercules Offshore, um, restructuring in court, shareholders obviously too not much doing very well. Um, I can't speak to Hercules, but the latest one, Sea uh, uh-huh. uh Deep Water, uh, all debt. So I remember talking about this company <laughs> back in the boom days, 2012, 2013. Very, very wary then when oil was yeah. surging and Deep Water was the mecca of oil for the next few decades, so people thought. Um, but they were completely funding their dividend out of debt. They Ugh. were free cash flow negative before dividends. So then you have to take on debt to pay the dividends because they had an ex- one of the highest yields in the business. Obviously unsustainable now. We had talked about it. And myself and Joel South talked about it extensively back then. Oh, so this uh, is, I should go to YouTube and find these four Oh, dude, old yeah. Videos. YouTube, Taylor Muckerman, Seadrill. <laughs> There's proof in the pudding right there. Um, but now Transocean has been selling rigs uh, to the tune of billions of dollars lately as well. Um, Their fleet age is dropping a lot. By it the is. Way. Have you it seen is. that? And That's, so uh, for a while there, they had one of the oldest fleet right. ages, Seadrill, and Ensco had, the, had some of the youngest, along with Noble. Um, but now they're selling off their older rigs, some of their some of their shallow water rigs, and retiring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, retiring. I'm not even selling them all off. But they they did make a pretty big deal, I think, in the last couple of weeks. Um, but a lot of restructuring going on, and as we all know, when a company restructures, when the word bankruptcy is involved, shareholders equity, are last in line. Equity shareholders are usually you know the tail end of the breadline. So. Uh, we, we've, but this kind of bodes well if deep water does come back in favor. You have less competition, and you've weeded out the weaker players who just tried their darndest to get in when the getting was good, uh-huh. and they weren't secure in in their balance sheet, and they had too many rigs on order, and uh, so you're going to see the players that are going to survive are going to if deep water does come back, they're just going to have a field day because and that's companies like Transocean. I don't think is going to go anywhere anytime soon. Uh, Ensco, Noble, uh, and then if you're looking at the companies that supply them with equipment, National Oil Well Varco, and uh, what what was the company they spun out? Oh, um, D now. D now. Distribution now. That's the parts mostly. So they've done a great job of standardizing a lot of parts on these rigs. So if you want some contrarian bets in the energy sector, I'm not saying go buy them now. I'm saying take a look. Ensco, Noble, uh, Transocean, NOV, and DNOW. If you want it, five contrarian bets, maybe take a look. And even Petrobras, integrated oil company out of Brazil, but Brazil has, in, in the pre-salt formation, has yeah. supposedly some of the most prolific oil reserves under the deep water there. Uh, Petrobras has first come, first serve. And uh, actually, not, uh, actually, over a year and a half ago now, Tyler Crow and I went and we talked to National Oil Well Varco oh, CEO. Oh, yeah, it's great people I, down there. Yeah. And I, I, I had sat down and interviewed uh, Workman, who's the yep. CEO of uh, DNOW. So, to any of our listeners, if you want to see those interviews and just know, wonder what those guys were thinking back then, yep. feel free to email us. And I'm more than happy to send those interviews. They might even be on. I mean, I interviewed. Well, uh, you talked to him a year before I us. I talked I mean, to cool Pete guys. Miller uh, on camera uh, a year before. Yeah, we've been down there. We went down there two years in a row to talk to them and a few other companies. Um, but yeah, that's a very well run company. Uh, it just got hit. By by market forces, so 
And that is how economics works. That is exactly how economics works. Um, so uh, thanks for your thoughts, man. Yeah, cheers. Good Catch show. Catch you later. See yep. you next week. You got it. And that is it for us, folks. Be sure and tune in tomorrow for the Technology Show. If you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Once again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. And once again, thanks to our producer, Austin Morgan. We love you. And as always, people in this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Taylor Markham and I, I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!